Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. It's showtime, folks. Enjoy the show. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to the Saturday matinee. Hi there, Steve. Good morning, Andy. It's uh, survived the storms this Holy weekend, cow. I think. Uh, looking at my yard, and uh, we we don't have any trees down. We don't have anything fun like that. In no the lightning yard strikes today, on so your neighbor's trees. Feeling 
<laughs> no, no, we we did have that a uh, like a year or two ago. There was somebody's uh, right. palm tree that got hit by lightning uh, down the street, but uh, nothing, nothing today. today. It's all safe. Today. Yeah. Yes. Well, that's good. Yes, it's been a little little crazy, stormy. It's uh, it's never. Uh, I don't know. It's just it's nuts when it gets like that. It's like I just cleaned all of that. <laughs> What are you making me do this all over again for? Now you've got to go oh, vacuum the yard again. I tell you. Yes. How's your movie life been this past week? Slow. Slow. Work was really busy, so I, I only... Uh, well, there there's two that I guess I can talk... Well, one that I want to talk about, the second one. Uh, you know, sometimes you just... You just want to put on some... It's late at night, and you're, you can't... You're not up for something really heavy, so you put on something like Roger Corman's t- Death Race 2050, <laughs> knowing that it's going to be, well, it it is what Roger Corman does, and it was it's it's fun. Uh, there's not a whole lot to it, but the, it's like these B movies get new life because of the what they can get away with in effects now. Uh, they still you know look cheap, but it it's fun. It was you know. <laughs> It was what it was, and I was like, okay, I, I haven't seen something like this in a long time, and just put it on. But then I also uh, finally got around to watching Spring Breakers, oh. which had, had been on my list of things that I was wanting to see, maybe, and I was always like, well, I don't know. It, so finally, finally watched that, and it was in some ways better than I expected, and in some ways it was kind of disappointing that it didn't go a little bit further in in some areas but uh yeah i forgot this was from two, that's from 2012 i i thought it was just a couple of years ago but i guess time just got away from me on this one but i'd never seen anything uh that harmony had directed any of his other films i saw kids that he wrote you know way back when in the what late 90s but I haven't seen anything he directed. So his style with this one was, it, it impressed me. It, it was very, I guess, non, non-linear, um, you know, wasn't typical, traditional, okay, I'm going to put the camera here, we're going to shoot the scene. It was, I, I hate to say this, it, it's like he was influenced by Terrence Malick. I'm going to just shoot <laughs> stuff of, of kids at spring break and, and these, just these girls and just let them do their things. And capture those moments and then started splicing some of those together. It's sort of the front end of the movie, which worked really well. There wasn't a whole lot of sense of story. It was just here's girls at college hanging out. This is what college life is like. And then they head down to Florida for spring break. And then the you know craziness happens. And it just at the end of the film, it, it seemed like it, it should have said something about everything that happened and the impact it had on them but it didn't come across strong enough for me to say one way or the other what we should be thinking about these girls and what decisions they're going to make after these events because they they say that they're going to turn their lives around and i don't know if we're supposed to buy that or not or if that's just a line they're feeding their parents on the phone i don't know and that's i wish it had given me a clearer indication of sort of either consequences that they've realized and they're going to turn their lives around or if it's really a a statement about kids whose lives go off the rails and yeah they're just they they made a a decision 
and their lives are going to continue sort of down this chaotic, violent path. And I don't have a clear sense of that. And I wish it had, because I think it, it could then be a film that is going to say something to kids one way or the other. And to me, it falls into that uh, area of now it's open to criticism, sort of like Wolf of Wall Street. Oh, it's a film that's celebrating these people that probably shouldn't be celebrated. And maybe it should, you know, condemn them and it doesn't come across that way and now there's that issue of are certain people going to latch on this movie of like yeah that's that's what i want to do i want to go down to to spring break and hook up with a, a drug dealer and that's a great life to have and it's not and i just wish there was a little bit more of, of commentary on that interesting I never saw that one. It's it's been on my list. Uh, something I definitely want to check out at some point. And and um, for all those reasons that you've just been um, saying here, I, I think it just sounds like a really interesting film that likely has more going for it than just kind of the cursory you know party at spring break sort of movie. So um, yeah, I, I I need to bump that one up on my list. Plus, I think it was eight twenty four. So it's 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 got to be on my it, list. <laughs> <laughs> it is an A24, so it's it's got to be on your list. Exactly, exactly. Cool, yeah. My, I, I haven't really uh, been watching a whole lot. I've been kind of a little slow with uh, with movies this past week. But, um, you know, my son had his, uh, his birthday, and he really wanted to go see Christopher Robin. So we went and took him to that last night, which, you know, it's exactly what I expected it to be. Um, and, but, but I still enjoyed it. And I think it's just to that end, I think it's it's hard to... Um, if you're, if you're really being kind of having, telling a story with that kind of honesty that Winnie the Pooh has, I think it ends up coming across pretty well. And as long as you kind of go in knowing that, uh, I think, I think it's something that can still be enjoyed. I think if you're expecting anything original or unique, you're not going to get it. You'll be disappointed, but I still found it pretty uh, warm hearted and, and pleasant. So, so that was nice. Okay. Yeah. There's it's nice to change things up and have films like that. Every once well, and while. it's getting like, you know, critics are just are bashing it. Um, and, but I think that's why, you know, I, I think Mark Forster has done stronger films. I think everybody involved has done stronger films, but it's, it still is, it's, it's hitting its target market really well, which is young kids and families. And I think it has just a very, uh, a very safe kind of story with warm, honest characters that that makes for an honest, enjoyable experience, even if it is, um, you know, very rote. So, um, yeah, so I, I still I still count it as something that I walked out enjoying. Okay. So, so we just jump right into trailers. We'll go from <laughs> Christopher Robin to your trailer. We'll just go. Exactly. Just do a complete tonal shift on that one okay 100 percent. yeah so um so my trailer this week is is the new uh british film featuring uh everybody's favorite simon Pegg and nick frost um it is called slaughterhouse rules i would guess it's a play on slaughterhouse five and cider house rules um but it's <laughs> i didn't even think of that but okay <laughs> but it's 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 basically a a film about a, a boarding school and the faculty running it headed up by michael sheen who's always uh enjoyable and uh and asa butterfield is one of the students and here we find i don't know some sort of monstrous creature living out in the forest with a gateway to hell 
that Nick Frost's uh, uh, groundskeeper seems to either he's either uh, he's effective at pointing that out or selling drugs to the kids. Um, and and Simon Pegg looks like he's a, a new professor here at this school, and uh, shenanigans ensue. You know, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, I think, are always at their best when, uh, as at least as a pair, when they're working with um, uh, uh, Edgar Wright. I just think that that trio has created some really spectacular uh, films, which we've talked about on the show before. I never saw um, the alien film and i'm blanking on its name that uh that the two of them did on their own um but it it you know i don't know just the look of it it was called paul that's what it was the look of it just never struck me as something i was curious about and i didn't hear anything good about it so i never bothered with it this very likely could fall into that camp it looks like it could just go down a road of nonsense and turn into something that i'm just find completely dumb but it could be fun. It's it's hard to say. Um, it's directed, uh, written and directed by uh, Crispian Mills, who uh, wrote it with Henry Fitzherbert, and then Luke Passmore also helped with the story. Um, I'm not familiar with that gang too much. I know Crispian Mills did do um, a previous project with Simon Pegg called The Fantastic Fear of Everything. Um, and, uh, you know, it's but it's it's, I think, a relatively... Uh, fresh young group of filmmakers and uh, Simon and Nick have kind of come on board as executive producers on this so clearly it's a project they probably wanted to do that they thought would be fun and the effects look good it could be fun I just don't know um, it just looks it, it looks like it might have a few things I'll enjoy though from the trailer what do you think it, it is Shaun of the Dead meets Harry Potter <laughs> that is what this that is exactly what this is because You've got in the trailer the whole, you know, new student coming aboard and, and getting the, you know, as just about every high school movie does, like, oh, here are the different sort of, you know, cliques in the school. Here are the, here's the different people and, and all this. And we see there's, you know, these different groups. You've got the, the headmaster. You've got, you know, at, at the high end, and I think they call him the bat because of his cape. And then you've got the, you know, the kid that's like tied up under the, bathroom sink (laughs) or whatever who's just like he's the one that everybody picks on or yeah so it it's it's got a a great sense of humor is what i i get across from that and then you you have yeah the crazy hellhole and and strange beasts coming out of it 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 does it looks like a lot of fun i think it knows exactly what it is it will come down to how well everything is executed on this one because i think it has a, a really solid cast it's it's a genre that can be so much fun if it's not taking itself too seriously and it doesn't look like it is i i'm really looking forward to this one i to me this is one of those i hate to say it guilty pleasures because i hope it's better than that but this looks like everything i would want to love in a film yeah absolutely um if it can pull it off and and that's the trick so well this movie um right now it only has a release date in the uk i i I don't know if it's gonna spread beyond that but it's a uh um actually i just i just saw this it's the first film from stolen pictures which is a a film and tv production company that was formed by simon pegg and nick frost uh so so there you go but it is being released october 31st in the uk so a nice little halloween film for the brits hopefully um it will 
have more of a life than that and it'll make its way across the pond to us yes so i'm, I'm looking forward to it i if i need to i have a feeling this may just end up you know, on streaming services this fall and made to just be the, a great movie to put on uh, for Halloween. There you go. It's out here. So, all right. All What's right. your trailer? I, I didn't know what to make of this thing because I, I looked at this, just the description, and I've got, uh, you know, a story about a kindergarten teacher that has this prodigy of a student, and I'm looking at the cast, and I've got uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal, Gyllenhaal, and I know she had done a movie a couple of years ago about education. So I thought, oh, this is going to be this really interesting drama about the school system and how some kids are left out. I thought, OK, this is going to be one of these, you know, movies with a, a, a point, you know, with a big message, you know. And then I started watching the trailer and the music kicks in. And I thought, well, this, why is why are all these music cues telling me this is like a scary movie? What's. <laughs> What is going on? And as the trailer slowly reveals the story, it's yes, she has this this student that can write poetry and he's in kindergarten. And the next thing I know, it looks like she's basically kidnapping him so that she can protect him from a world that destroy you know, wants kids to be other things and doesn't, you know, nurture the creative spirit like, you know, Mozart and she takes this kid and you know takes him from the playground, takes him on a tour of some museums. Then it looks like she kidnaps him, takes him out away from the city so that they can, she can get his poetry and they can get it published as a book. And it just, wow, you know, very interesting sort of character, psychological exploration of someone who maybe has a desire for one thing and doesn't have it in themselves and sees it in someone else. And so she, she wants to, you know, let this kid, fulfill his destiny as this this great artist and wow just took a really dark turn uh not sure what to make of, of how this is going to play out but i'm intrigued because of the it looks like just a movie that she is going to carry the whole film the other recognizable face i see in this is gail garcia bernal who i remember vaguely from blindness as sort of the king of whatever floor that is king of the blind um, and it look, yes yeah, right <laughs> yes king of the blind and uh, it looks like she's either uh, i think he's like a professor or teacher in a class that she's taking uh it's because uh, he's he seems to be helping her evaluate the student's poetry but yeah i just this is not the movie that i expected but i am now completely intrigued by what this is going to do it reminded me a lot of 1991's little man tate with jodie foster as the mom who has you know this brilliant son and diane weist runs this school for like brilliant kids and again this this conflict between kids that are really talented and parents that want them to just be normal kids and this sort of gets into that territory so it's it's coming looks like netflix right to netflix october 12th uh directed uh sarah colangelo and this is her second feature film the first one is a film i have not heard of called little accidents um not anything i'd i'd heard of or were familiar with but this one has a really solid uh approach that looks like it's taken that has me interested yeah, absolutely. It it looks uh, very interesting. It's based on an Israeli film uh, from like four years ago, I think, 
that got quite a lot of acclaim. Um, I, I, I didn't see it, but I, I remember hearing about it. Um, but watching the trailer, I'm like, wow, this is a, this is a dark story. And I'm really curious to see uh, where it's going to go. Um, so it's definitely something that I want to check out. And it's going to be on Netflix. So that'll be an easy way uh, to check it out. And I had heard of Sarah's previous film, um, little accidents that uh, that uh, came out. I think that uh, she did it based on a short film that she did, but um, I I can't remember what I had heard about it if it was good or not. But um, I don't know. I mean, just based on watching this trailer, it it piqued my curiosity with her. And as a kind of an up and coming filmmaker, um, I, that may be something else I want to check out. So so yeah, we went to the dark side, both of us. Yeah, yeah I, we went to school. We went to the dark side of school. I know, you, you, and you still uh, you still kept your your school theme. And, you know, <laughs> your students it just went a little younger, but still. Y- yes, uh, and <laughs> just a little bit darker than I was thinking it was going to be. Exactly. Yes, I thought, oh, I'll start. I'll start off. You know, the school years getting into gear. Oh, great story about a, a teacher that is you know struggling and fighting to do what's right for kids, but it is just not in the way that you expected. Exactly. So, right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I guess we should we should jump into our lists, huh? Okay. Well, so okay. So we had we had a really widespread of options available yeah. on this one, and so I was I wasn't even sure how to start preparing for this until I knew what the results were going to be, and the option was uh, the one that we we gave ourselves some latitude last last week and where we could go with this, right? We we had films that shifted actors' careers, yeah. space anomalies. And Cold War tensions. Um, I, I think it's a, a nice spread. Actually, we had a, a yeah. variety of things. Um, nobody seemed to want to uh, hear us talk about space anomalies, though. No one picked that one. So, <laughs> okay, come yeah. on, you guys. Well, I guess we did already cover Star Trek Four on the show. So, yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Uh, but okay. yeah, so films that shifted actors' careers is where uh, the votes landed. So, we're going to dig into that one, which should be fun. Yeah. I, well, I. I really embraced the spirit of this and did I I I think some unique things with it to, to cover cover me in any way. So I, I don't have a really long list, but I, I don't fingers crossed I'm not you're not gonna have any steals from me. I'm hoping. Well I I, I may I have a pretty good list. I've got quite a few things. Uh, it actually, okay. I, I kept coming up with them. So I was actually pretty proud of myself that because you could go so many different ways, you know, a, a film yes. that shifted an actor's career for the better, like they may have been kind of a, a, a B B level actor or kind of a supporting actor that all of a sudden had a big break because of a role and it kind of turned a corner for them in their career. You could have the opposite, a film that ruined an actor's career um, or you could have a film that, that kind of started shifting them into a different type of uh, genres and different type of uh, work that they were going after. So it was kind of a, quite a variety, I thought. Yes. yes. So with that, since it sounds like you have fewer, why don't you kick us off? Okay. So my first one is uh, this is so I, for my I tried to different categories for each one on my list. So you talked about different different approaches, and I, I think I've found one for each different type that I'm going for. So first is sort of a movie that really sets someone career, sets someone career solid, uh, you know, 
maybe early on in their career. And there's sometimes you'll have actors that are struggling in a lot of smaller films. And then finally there's this one role that gets everyone's attention. And you think back, how did this person get started? They've just always seemed to be been like an A-list star. And you go back and look and say, oh, they'd, they've been working for a little while. So I'm going to start off in that category. And I am going to start with a movie that I had heard a lot about. And finally got around to watching. It was just totally blown away by Jennifer Lawrence's performance in Winter's Bone. Mm-hmm. It is just an amazingly solid movie. She had done some work in some smaller pieces. Uh, but this one, if you look at her career, this is when people started talking about her talent, her ability. You know, as a young actress carrying a, a film that is really unique. It is a... I would say technically a film noir, but set sort of in the backwoods areas of, of America, sort of like out there in the, the Midwest, more rural areas, but it's a sort of follows along all the points of a noir. You've got this mystery to be solved. Her father has gone missing. She's meeting all these different groups, of people that may or may not have information. There may be something larger at work beyond what, uh, she is first aware of and just a really solid performance from her in this film that's a great film um it's it's one that uh is it's definitely a dark uh dark journey for her that she goes on but um man is she good and you can see why she had such a career um, blossom from that particular film and uh it's also a great opportunity to see john hawks because it's always great to watch john hawks do stuff oh yeah he's he's amazing and that's uh back in 2010 so early early on in her career and it was just you know shortly after that that you know she ended up starring in you know x-men and the hunger games franchise and from there you know things just continue to build silver linings playbook all of those things yeah awesome so that's that's my first pick where which path are you going down with your first pick I'm going to go, uh, I, you know, I, I've been torn, you know, do I start with, uh, you know, what, what direction do I go? I think I'm going to start with just uh, with my, my favorite actor, because why not? Anytime I can talk about Tom Hanks, I will. Um, and I'm going to talk about Big, because uh, that is really kind of the, the movie that shifted his career from, you know, the guy who's kind of the funny guy. He had been in some uh some other films like he had done a, a a small drama called every time we say goodbye that was like uh, disappeared as soon as uh, it appeared um and nothing in common which i think showed some of his acting chops as far as a guy who could uh do drama as well as comedy but um that also wasn't as popular and and uh, but otherwise it was stuff like bachelor party the man with one red shoe dragnet um, and the money pit and volunteers and uh, so he was he was really kind of in that that uh, you know that thrust of all the kind of wacky comedies that he was uh, he was really becoming known for and then when he was cast in big um, uh, Penny Marshall's film that really gave him the opportunity to kind of keep that same comedic joy but also uh, really kind of find the heart of that uh, that young uh, teen kid who had been magically transformed um, to be big and became an adult overnight and has to learn to live on his own and falls in love and gets a job and and all while you know still you know trying to keep that kid side of himself without becoming a grown up and and I think Tom Hanks pulled it off in such an amazing way. 
you know, I mean, it, it got him uh, major uh, accolades and acclaim, and uh, it just, it's something that, uh, you know, I mean, he was nominated for an Oscar for it. I mean, it was just something that everybody noticed. And from that point on, uh, you know, I mean, his next film was Punchline, which was also kind of a dark comedy. And, and he still did the kind of the silly comedies and stuff, but that gave him the opportunity to, and it gave the world kind of the idea that, hey, this guy might be able to do some some other stuff. And that led him down a solid road that gave him quite a prolific career. So that's my first one. Oh, yeah. That's such a, yeah, such a key movie for like the Tom Hanks filmography. Because, yeah, the, that's... When com- somehow comedians, really talented comedians, can just suddenly turn to that dramatic side and do it in, in such a solid way, and Big is such oh, it's just one of those classic films that uh, is so much fun, and it wouldn't have been the same movie without him to to bridge those two sides of you know being a kid and being an adult. Great pick, great pick. All right, what's what's number two for you? Okay, so. Now I'm going the other direction. I'm going to look at someone whose star was on the rise, made a choice, and things just got completely derailed. Hmm, so okay. in in the early 90s, there you, you look at this and say, okay, Laurie Petty, you were in Point Break. That was, you know, okay, yeah, sort of overshadowed by Keanu Reeves and, and Patrick Swayze, but, you know, a, a notable performance. But then she hits... League of Their Own in 1992 as Gina Davis's younger sister and just, you know, really solid performance. A couple years later, stars in a little film called Tank Girl based on a graphic novel. And ever since that point, she has never recovered. I'm looking through her filmography and it's just a mess of TV and smaller movies. And you would think that after something like League of Their Own, and you look at everybody that was in that movie again, Tom Hanks, Penny Marshall, you've got, I mean, you had Rosie O'Donnell, you had Madonna, even people. Gina Davis. Gina Davis. Uh, yeah, I mean, great movie, solid performances, and people continue to, you know, build careers after that. Laurie Petty just took a nosedive after this. And I, you know, the only thing I can point to is Tank Girl, which is a, it's a guilty pleasure of mine. Uh, it's, it's an, odd movie it's set in a post-apocalyptic australia where there's a water shortage there's these half human half kangaroo mutants um yeah it's ridiculous it's silly it's not a great film but it is fun and it's probably worth seeing just for a really early naomi watts performance as jet girl uh in the movie as well but it just i for whatever reason, Laurie Petty has not made a really good decision after this or has been able to find roles that she should have been able to to capitalize on after this. And that's one I've never seen. I, I Maybe it's just because I never heard anything good about it. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, I had enjoyed uh, the stuff that she was doing up uh, up until that point. So it's a shame that it kind of shifted her in a direction that uh, just didn't end up working any better for her. So. Yeah. Ah, well, what are you going to do? My next one, um, you know, sometimes actors have great careers and then those actors, uh, for one reason or another, their, their careers just kind of, kind of seem to take a turn, 
Um, and it's not necessarily a particular film, but it's just, you know, it might be a series of films or something. They just all of a sudden aren't, aren't, uh, you know, or, or they're just not the it actor anymore. Um, I think that that is certainly the case of John Travolta, who had an incredible career in, in the seventies and into the eighties even. I mean, you know, uh, I think that he was still doing some great stuff, but by, by the time we got into the, the mid eighties and the late eighties, now I would argue the look who's talking, uh, and series that he was in was very popular, but it wasn't giving us that gritty John Travolta that we had had back in the seventies with Saturday night fever with blowout, uh, some of those those darker films uh, uh, carry even, and I, I think that it was uh, the the love of Travolta that led uh, Quentin Tarantino to cast him in Pulp Fiction, and really rebirth this man's career. And I think that Pulp Fiction is a really fascinating film. Uh, it, it, I don't find it as uh, as enticing now as I did back then, but I still think it's a really solid uh, work. And everybody in it is at the top of their game. Um, uh, Tarantino and Travolta. I mean, it, it was, it's so great seeing John Travolta as Vincent Vega and what he's uh, bringing to the table. And it really is something that gave him a rebirth in his career. Now... He still picked projects that were, you know, you could argue were still going down the wrong way. I think John Travolta may just have a problem with picking good projects, but at least his career had a rebirth. But White Man's Burden, uh, the uh, what was that one he did? Um, uh, Battlefield Earth. You know, there were films that he made that's like, really, you sure you want to go down that road again? Um, and you could argue that he's kind of gone down that crappy road again. But I heard Gotti was actually pretty good, which just came out earlier this year, or at least his performance in it was. So, you know, he's one of those guys who I, I think may need a uh, you know, the right hand helping him pick projects. But uh, but that being said, I think Tarantino and Pulp Fiction was a great rebirth for him. Oh, yeah. You you know, there was the, the late 90s were just really solid movies. He, it opened doors for him to, you know, classic from that era for me. One of my favorites, Get Shorty, uh, you know, the, face he off. got into the act face off. Yeah. I mean, there it's totally different, you know, Travolta from the just, uh, you know, struggling in the in the late 80s. Yeah, this really just, you know, presented him, I think reminded the generation that he had had talent and introduced him to another generation of, of film goers uh yeah this was uh yeah this was one of my options on my list so oh, I'll, sorry. I'll give you credit for <laughs> no, no, i'll give you credit for a steal on this one uh because yeah it's it, that difficult transition uh and then finding a star making you know comeback almost in in pulp fiction so yeah no, great great pick awesome great steal uh, so I, i'm but for my third and final pick, I'm in that same that same path there of a career that was, you know, sort of set, things derail, and there's a, a film that sort of brings that person back around. And in this case, um, I think it has to do with, with age, of being transitioning from being a young actor, a young child actor, struggling as a teenager try and find the right role to to beginning adulthood and now being cast as an adult and people saying okay we thought kept thinking of you as a kid now okay you can show us something a little bit more mature on that so and 
as with fame and young actors, there's often lots of other things that, that go on in terms of, of bad choices and addictions that can derail a career. Uh, but I think everybody will remember sort of Drew Barrymore in Scream and that sort of setting her up for a, a big success and comeback in the 90s after you know, the 80s and E.T. and Firestarter and a lot of things that, you know, as a young child actor, weird things in the 80s, small films, weird things. And then Scream sort of reestablishing her and setting her on a lot of solid performances into the 90s and then transitioning over into into being, you know, a producer. Uh, but, you know, things, you know, we got back into romantic comedies with her as an adult. You know, you got the Charlie's Angels franchise. But if you go back, it's really sort of that role in the big, uh, sort of opening segment in the first Scream film uh, that sort of reintroduced a new Drew Barrymore to us. That's a yeah. And it's it was nice to have that rebirth of her. Um, and I think I think a lot of it is sometimes for these people, it's growing up and just um, because she she went through a lot as a kid. And, and I think that she had to find a way to kind of mature on her own and, and stop being that girl who is, you know, uh, lifting up her shirt on Letterman <laughs> and become somebody yes. who is just a little, you know, a little more serious. And, and it took some time for her, but uh, I'm glad that it worked because I think that she's gone down a much bi- brighter path. So yes, that's, that's a, a great one. Um, my last one is actually uh, very similar in, in that realm because it is another actor who um, who was doing great work uh, from the from a very young age, uh, coming from a, a famous uh, a family. This is Robert Downey Jr. Um, uh, you know, he had a, a a really solid career as a kid, and he had been in a lot of fun projects in the '80s, and uh, started getting into some more serious stuff and showing that he really had acting chops. He wasn't just that that punk kid in weird science or girls just want to have fun. He actually could do stuff um, more seriously, like uh, less than zero or chances are, or as we found out Chaplin, which was a really fantastic performance. I, I, you know, it was really the the mid nineties though, that uh, he ended up getting his uh, kind of his drug problems and having a lot of issues. And it was like for a five solid years, 96 to 2001 where he was just you know really struggling with his addictions and he was in and out of jail he had that issue where he um somebody called the police because they found him sleeping in their kid's bed or something like he was so whacked out on drugs that he walked into some stranger's house and passed out in their bed i mean he was a mess and he was still being cast in projects but he was kind of becoming uninsurable and um, but people would still put him in smaller roles. You know, he was still in some one of my favorite films, Wonder Boys, in that period of time, and Bowfinger as a tiny bit player. So there were still things that he was popping up in. And as he kind of cleaned himself up, you know, he started popping up in things like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which we've talked about on the show, and uh, A Scanner Darkly, which is a really interesting one. But I would argue that it really was Iron Man in in 2008 that really showed people that Robert Downey Jr. was back. And I think it was probably the thing that he needed in his life to to kind of have that breath of fresh air, like, I can do this again. And I've never heard him talking after this period about, uh, you know, anything, uh, you know, awful. It was all like everything's now become, you know, he's very 
Um, he's very grounded. He's centered. He's kind of found his his uh, sense of well being and stuff. And and I I think that just having that chance to kind of uh, prove that he can be somebody that can be a, a box office carry the box office I think uh, is what he needed and and that certainly has given him a great rebirth in his career and, and for the last 10 years he's been in some really solid stuff and he's been he's been you know kind of the the face on these things like the Sherlock's Sherlock Holmes series um, and things like the judge where he's playing opposite uh, uh, Robert Duvall and of course all the Marvel films uh, but then there's great performances like Tropic Thunder so I, I think that he's really taken an incredible turn after Iron Man so that's my final pick Oh, that's a, a great way to end this list because, yeah, there's no no better story of it's almost like his his third time around. Uh, yeah, the transition from from young teenage wild wildlife as a young celebrity and then trying to get more grounded in the 90s, still struggling through that. But yes, when you see from Iron Man, it is just the more dependable, solid, grounded Robert Downey Jr. that is continuously just you look at everything and you're like yeah that is a there we are solid films solid choices whether it's you know carrying a film or a franchise you know iron man the avengers all that to even you know fun smaller roles like in in chef uh you know just small you know working with john favreau on a on a small project but still just you can see how much fun he has in what he's doing. I think there's just, you see that there's a love for film and what he's doing now that is a complete different, uh, completely different person from, you know, where he was earlier in his career. So yeah, the perfect way to end this list. Yeah. So, so that's it. Those are our uh, films that have changed actors careers. Um, So, what are we going to do now? We got Planet of the Apes. We're kicking off a new series. I think the obvious one is Talking Animals. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> yes. Well, let's see. What else? What else can we can we throw in there? Uh, we've got. Uh, let's see. We've got twist. We we could do twist endings. We could do uh, landing on the wrong planet. <laughs> oh. That's a long list. <laughs> Landing on the wrong planet. Landing, getting lost someplace. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Planet of the Apes. The twist ending. Yeah, okay. Yes. That I think that is that makes sense. I like talking animals as well because that opens up. Now, if we're if you're doing talking animals, I'm assuming we're leaving animated films out of the mix on that? I, yeah i would think it would need because to be that yeah i think it's a live okay. action film because otherwise yeah okay I mean, it's, you know yeah, it, the, yeah okay and then uh a, a twist ending because i would say this is one of the first ones that i recall sort of that big twist reveal at the end sort of just pulls the rug out from under you of like i had no idea i wasn't expecting this uh so i think that's one thing that this film is really known for so that's a, another one what about um using uh using uh storytelling to uh to you know uh, to or science fiction to um bury your messages or to kind of convey your messages <laughs> you know the rod, oh, Sur- so, the yeah. rod serling aspect the, of the film the rod serling aspect of we're going to make a social co- yeah. social commentary yeah. through science fiction yeah. or other genres to, yeah. to make a, a different statement. Yeah, yeah so social that, commentary that, through works. genre films. Yeah, that works. Okay. Where the, 
rather than directly making that statement, you've sort of subtext hidden within yeah. the shot. Uh, okay, there we go. I think that'll work. So we've got twist endings, talking animals in live action movies, and social commentary through genre films. So I think Pete's just, you know, he needs to show up because I'm still waiting for him to bring his, you know, Woody Allen movies to these lists. So I think one of these days, you know, I, I want to see the Woody Allen movie with talking animals. I want to see. Well, I'd uh, say you could use ants, except that's animated. <laughs> that's right. So I think Pete's shying away from these lists because he can't live up to that. Uh, I'm going to call him out. Peter Wright, right. you know. need to bring your Woody Allen fandom to these lists, sir. Oh, well, well, until then, um, I guess we'll uh, we'll. Uh, We'll call this one done. So, um, uh, as always, all of our uh, uh, Patreon supporters, we appreciate you supporting us, uh, and we hope you enjoyed listening to this. Thank you so much for uh, continuing to um, uh, put your money behind us and and, uh, keep us moving forward. And I guess until then, Steve, uh, have a great week. Hondo. I love the conversations that so many of our hosts have had on their shows. Steve and JJ on Trailer Rewind, Ray and Ocean on Silver Linings, even Tommy's short-lived No, No, Wait, Hear Me Out. And so many films they've discussed started out as a book, a play, or even a TV series. Well, now you can support our whole family of podcasts by using our new Originals page to buy the original source material used to inspire films covered on our shows. Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these fantastic conversations. It's a wonderful way to support the show. Producing these podcasts week after week require a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, try using our originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. It's your one-stop shop for Amazon and Apple links where you can buy the book, play, video game, movie, etc. upon which the movie is based. Original material for trailer rewind movies like If Beale Street Could Talk, The Goldfinch, Aniara, or The Two Faces of January. Or Silver Linings movies like Repo Men, which was based on the repossession Mambo. Plus, by using those links to buy books, Amazon and Apple show us a little bit of love, which allows you to support our family of shows with minimal effort. Visit thenextreel.com slash originals. It's a fantastic way to support the show and find a great book to read. That's right. Head over to thenextreel.com slash originals to find your next read and get started today. Mm-hmm.